0: Welcome to the sermons and teachings from the Catalyst Fellowship with Epayin Michael. We no, hope the message the you're, message you're about, about to listen to will edify and you and cause you to experience, experience exponential growth. And now, the, the message. message. How to interpret or study the Bible, part what? Hmm. Part three. The teaching series we started a few weeks ago where essentially we are training you on how to interpret the Bible. And particularly today, I'm going to be majoring on two things. I'm going to be majoring on the place of the Holy Spirit in Bible interpretation, and I'm going to be starting barriers to interpreting the Bible. Right. So... Um, I mean, I trust you guys have been blessed so far. In the first part, we started to talk about the honor, um, honoring God's word, honor for God's word, and we learned why it's important to honor God's word. In the second part, we started to dive deeper. And so, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. I said this will be our anchor text throughout this teaching series, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. At the Lagos Hangout yesterday, we asked people what were the most popular um, verses I used to introduce <laughs> um, sermons, and a few people were able to answer. I don't know why Abuja people are smiling. Were you there? I don't get why you were smiling. <laughs> if you were not there, how can you relate without smiling? Anyways, um, and like they did very well, you know, people mentioned 3:16, Ephesians 4:11, Philippians 1:25. And yeah, amazing. And there are reasons why we use these scriptures. Um, they buttress the point of what I'm trying to say. So, for example, in the last teaching we started with Second Timothy chapter two and verse 15. It says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If there's anybody in your group that is not here, please send them a message to join fellowship now. Um, if there's anybody also that you know generally that is not here also, please send a message to join me right now. Anybody you know should be here also that will benefit from this teaching series, please send him a message to join in now. Alright, so study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we said study here means putting diligence. Is the Greek word spoudazo. Spoudazo is spelled S-P-O-U-D-A-Z-O or spoudazo as you may like to pronounce. And it means putting all diligence. The fact that he's saying study there doesn't mean he's only talking about studying, but he's saying study and any other thing that constitutes diligence. And I explained, I said, you cannot master anything you've not diligently or deliberately learned. We gave an example where we asked someone to read um, A to Z, and we asked person to read Z back to A. And A to Z was so simple, but Z back to A was hard. Why? Because you've not deliberately learned how to read Z back to A, but you've deliberately learned how to read A to Z. And so if they wake you up in the middle of the night, you will be able to say A to Z. Even in your dream, You be if they tap you and they say it, even if you are sleep-talking, you will say the correct things, right? And so that is, you cannot master anything you have not deliberately learned. It says, study that is be diligent. To show yourself approved unto God. And I explained that showing yourself approved unto God shows a standard. There is a standard of approval. You can't just be shabby when it comes to the study of God's word. You have to be what? Be diligent. It says, To show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed. So, a workman, a laborer. You see, when we when, when we speak to you, we should be able to know that you've labored in the word of God to come to the, 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 the interpretation you're giving God's word right now. Let us discern your labor. I mentioned that. I mentioned that you know we should be able to know you've studied about what you are talking about. Many of the misconceptions when it comes to the Bible are from things that you heard from people but you never bothered to check. Praise Jesus. And so, don't just take people's words for it. I take that again. Don't just take what? People's words for it. That's one of the biggest problems. So, you have to be a workman in the world. You have to be a laborer in the world. Rightly dividing. And I said, if there is a right way to divide the word of God, then there is a wrong way to divide the word of God. And so, better render that place means rightly laying out the word of truth. It means when it says dividing, it means cutting straight, cutting straight to cut straight to divide rightly. And an allusion here may be may be made to a steward who properly distributes under his care the things that have been given to him rightly dividing putting diligence, showing efforts to ensure you do appropriate, you give appropriate focus, appropriate efforts, appropriate methods, appropriate approaches to the study of God's word. And this is important. We said, why would you take chance when it comes to the study of God's word or where you would, where we, where you would worship or the church you would go to or the place you are learning about the faith? You didn't take chance when it comes to school. You know, I made a joke. I said, "Some of you, you travelled from Port to go to Babcock, that is in Remo Those of you in see, you travel from Calabar to go to where to see you that is in Otta. Some of you, you travel thousands of kilometres to go for masters. Some of you here are Nigerians. Abi, what are you doing in, in in what country are you in, Abi? Turkey, right? Is that where she is? Exactly." Larry, what are you doing in Hungary? All of you in Hungary, Ukraine, Jasmine, you know, Kinto and the rest of you. You you you, had, you 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 had to do due diligence for your education. You didn't take chance. Why didn't you go for master's in Unilag? And I'm not saying Unilag is bad. I'm just asking a question, right? Why didn't you go for master's in Unilag? Are you with me? But when it comes to, 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 the, to, to going to school, when it comes to choosing a hospital, We see you putting diligence. Then why are you not putting the same level of diligence when it comes to the study of God's word? Some of you have been far diligent for things that are less as important as the study of God's word. The study of God's word has an eternal value. Some of you, when you want to write exams, you go as far as putting your leg in water. Some of you go as far as wearing shoe and putting a pebble inside it so it will disturb you. Some of you go as far as doing all sorts of things to keep yourself awake. But when it comes to the study of God's word, we're not seeing the same type of diligence. Say, I am a diligent student of the word of God. I I follow right methods and procedure
1: to divide the word of
0: God. To divide the word of God. Huh? To divide the word of God. <laughs> you know Hallelujah. Amen. And so one of the things we did was that we went through various ways that people have approached studying the Bible. I told you two general approaches people use. One is called ecegesis and one is called exegesis where exegesis is reading into the Word, coming with your own conclusions to the Word of God. And exegesis is coming to Scriptures without any preconceived notion and trying to discover what the writer of Scripture intended. And from the both of them, we said that the right approach to Bible study has to be what? Exegesis. So you have to exegetically divide the Word of God. Follow right processes to exegete scriptures. And then we also went to discuss a few school of thoughts when it comes to Bible interpretation, where we spoke about things like the literal method of interpretation, the anagogical method of interpretation. What other method of interpretation did we go through? Mystical. The mystical, the liberal, the, the um, 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 allegorical, where we said that all of these... Of everything, a good Bible student should subscribe to what? The literal. Why? In the literal school of thought, you learn that you have to do what? You have to interpret the Bible with respect to its plain or literal meaning, according to the grammatical construction, historical context, or the intention of the author. So when you study the Bible, don't come with your own mindset. Try to discover what the writer of the Bible intended. Praise Jesus. Alright, so I intentionally did a recap so that um, you can refresh your brain. Um, When you're coming to fellowship, try to study whatever you've learned before. For those of you who what I'm saying sounds like um, physics or (laughs) biology to you, I'm sorry, the the teachings are on the podcast, the two teachings, so someone will paste the link in the comment section now, you can copy it and listen to two of them, they are um, prerequisites to this teaching. Praise Jesus. And so at the end of those two teachings, we came to a conclusion that biblical interpretation is discovered and not what's created. Amazing. Discovered and not created. And what that means is that when it comes to the Bible interpretation, you don't create interpretation, you discover interpretation. You can have a deep understanding of what was written and you call it revelation but what you are calling revelation cannot be what the writer did not intend are you with me you know some people say oh i got a deeper revelation to this scripture and we said that is wrong because if what is deeper is not what the writer wanted you to get then it is error are you with me we also said you can be creative when it comes to um, um the the method of delivery but you should never get creative with the content of the message. The same thing Jesus taught to the apostles, the apostles taught to us and wrote in their epistles, and that is the same thing we should teach to other people. Praise Jesus. So, a a Bible student is conservative in his approach. We said you cannot interpret the Bible with your own inspiration. Why? The Word of God is already inspired, so read the inspiration. Praise Jesus. And so ending in this place that I just mentioned, where the word of God, um, um, biblical interpretation should be discovered and not created, it beckons the question. If you are telling us, sir, that innovation in doctrine is synonymous to error, that is, we cannot innovate interpretation, we cannot get interpretation from some mystical source, then where is the place of the Holy Spirit when we interpret the Bible? So, someone comes to tell you now that, oh, yes, I guess that that's what Paul was saying, but when I read it, he only told me that is a different interpretation, that this is what it means. Or someone says, an angel appeared to me and said that this is the meaning. And I said, things like this are the reasons why many people, many false religions have come, because someone will just come and say, oh, forget what they were saying, an angel appeared to me. Forget what you are saying, that's not the meaning. When I was reading it, I got a deeper mystery about it. You know, and so... What I'm here to start with is on explaining to you the place of the Holy Spirit when it comes to biblical interpretation. You see, all true scriptures, when the gospel is taught, we never see a person say he was taught the gospel by an angel. Neither do we see anybody say he was taught the gospel by Jesus after his death or by the Holy Spirit. People had different encounters with Jesus or angels that led them to getting saved, but those angels led them to other men. You see that? Why? Because God's strategy to raise men to make them hear the gospel, is other men. You need to be taught. You need to be taught. And that's why if you are in any association or gathering of believers where you are not growing or being equipped with the word of God and you cannot check after a period of time and see that you are growing and you have been equipped, you need to check if you are in the right place. Ephesians chapter 4 and 11 says what? He says he gave unto he gave unto some what apostles, pastors, prophets for what for what reason for the edification of the body of Christ for the work of ministry. Edification there is what is equipping, building up till we all come to, what? the unity of the faith. He says he gave unto he gave some apostles, pastors, prophets, and teachers for the perfecting of says, for the work of ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, God gave men as gifts to cause you to grow. Praise Jesus. Praise and so, if God has ordained that it is true man, that you would learn about the gospel and you would grow. Where then is the place of the Spirit? How many of you have heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit is a teacher? You were taught that. How does the Holy Ghost teach? If the Holy Spirit is supposed to help us understand the Bible... How does this happen when I've been teaching you that when it comes to Bible interpretation, you have to take and try to understand what the writer is saying? So if we are to read the inspiration of the apostles to discover what the writer intended and seek no other interpretation, where is the place of the Holy Spirit? Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 16. Scripture says, Cease not to give thanks to you, making mention of you in my prayer that the God, and this is Paul talking um, to the church at Ephesus. So he says, um, Ever since I heard of, of your faith and your love unto all men, that's the pretext. He says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer that what will happen? That the Lord God of glory, God, the Lord God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you what? The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So he's praying for them to receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And we know that the believer already has a spirit in him. What is that spirit? The Holy Spirit. So why then is the Apostle Paul praying that these people will receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation? If you check the NLT translation of this scripture, it says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual what? Wisdom and insights. Do you see that? That you may grow in your knowledge of God. So, yes, KJV was saying spirit of wisdom and revelation. NLT is saying spiritual wisdom and insights. And this is wisdom and revelation by the Spirit. So when Paul was praying here, he wasn't praying that a new spirit will come called the Spirit of Wisdom or the Spirit of Revelation, like many of us pray. But he was praying that he would receive what? Wisdom and revelation that comes by the Spirit. Amplified Version says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I always pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may grant you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, in bracket says, that gives you a deep and personal and intimate insight into the true knowledge of him, for we know the Father through the Son. So we see the Apostle Paul here talk about knowledge and wisdom that comes by the Spirit. And what is this knowledge and wisdom? What is wisdom and revelation in this place? What is he talking about? First of all, you have to realize that it's not a new spirit, like I said. It is wisdom and revelation by the same spirit that's already on your inside. So if the Holy Spirit is giving wisdom and revelation, what is it? Is this the inspiration we are talking about? Where does this fall? How do we appropriate this when it comes to the study of the Bible? Where does the, the wisdom and revelation of the Spirit come when it comes to studying the Word of God? Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. He says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, What? Abba Father, which is Father, Father. In verse 16, what does he say? He says, The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are what? The children of God. In the first part, the spirit is doing something. What was he doing in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 16? Giving you wisdom and revelation, right? In this place, what is he doing? He says, you've received the spirit of adoption. He says, what, what is it doing? He's bearing witness with your spirit. That what? That you are children of God. So you see, One of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, for those of you who have been here for a while, I've taught you when I taught you Holy Ghost, that one of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is what? Sanctification. We have three ministries that I taught you, that I taught you specifically. We have justification, sanctification, and resurrection. And when I taught you about sanctification as the ministry of the Spirit, it is the fact that the Holy Spirit bears witness in our hearts that we are what? That we are children of God. But not just that. The Holy Spirit is not only bearing witness in your heart that you are a child of God, but it's also bearing witness in your heart of the truth of God's word. And I'll explain what this means. And someone might be thinking, "Ah, but sir, if you say we're supposed to read the text directly according to what the writer intended to understand what he was trying to write, now you're telling me that the Spirit is going to give me wisdom and revelation, and the Spirit is also going to give me, is also going to bear witness of the truth of God's word in my heart, then why can't I say that the Holy Spirit teach, teaches me all things, right? I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like that's what I'm saying. Why can't I say the Holy Spirit is going, to, is, is going to give me a new inspiration and revelation to understand? But listen, if you go into John, first John chapter 2, and verse 18, you see something. I'll explain what bearing witness of the truth in our hearts is. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18. I'll give you some time to get there. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18. For those of you who might not be able to go there, it will be pasted in the comment section. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 to 24. It says, Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And already, many of such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches talking about the Antichrist. But they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. Verse 20. It says, but you are not like that. For the Holy One has given you His Spirit. And all of you know what? The truth. Do you see that? You see, this particular verse I read, that last verse, has caused many problems when it comes to Bible interpretation. And so someone will say, Oh, but the Bible says that what? Um, 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 I have the Holy One, you know, He has given me His Spirit, and I know all truths. But if you see the actual context of this verse, you would understand that the truths that the Antichrist, that, that the Spirit of God helps you know about, is the truth concerning what the antichrist are saying. In context, he already started to tell you. He says the antichrist exists. He says they were one of us, but they left us. He says you are not like them. Why? You have the Holy Spirit, and because you have the Holy Spirit, you know all truth. I know it's still not clear, because what then is all truth? What is he telling us that is all truth? Go to verse 21. Verse 21 says, so I'm writing to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies." First of all, this clears out the fact that, because if he's saying that it's the spirit that will tell them all truth, in the next verse he's saying, I'm writing to you because, not because you don't know the truth, he says, but because you know the difference between truth and lies." Like, so what are you saying? I thought he said it's the spirit that helped me, um, you know know the truth. Why are you now saying, I know the truth already? Are you with me? But if you go on, it says, verse 22, Who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an Antichrist. So, first of all, the same person who was telling them up there that there are Antichrists told them that you will know the Antichrist because of the Spirit of Truth. In the next verse, it's not saying, this is how you know the Antichrist. Anyone who says Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an what? Is an antichrist. It says in verse 23, Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and the Father. So how do they know the truth? By continuing in what they have been taught. Do you see that? Anyone who says Jesus is not the Christ, anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. But by the Spirit of God on your inside, you can discern by what people say. I'll explain better. It's going to get clearer very soon. Go to verse 27. This is another part of a verse that people take out of context and use to say that the Holy Spirit gives them new inspiration. It says, you've received the Holy Spirit and He lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. Uh, You know, I think this is even a different translation. KJV, you know. Give me KJV. Uh, If you read NLT, you probably already understand this because it's direct. If you read KJV, can someone paste KJV for everyone to see? 1 John 2, 18. Okay, it's been pasted, bit. KJV says... But the anointing which you have received of him abides in you. And you need not that any man teach you. But the same anointing teaches you all things and is the truth and is no lie. This popularly people have brought this out to say, you don't need any teacher. The Holy spirit is going to teach you. When it comes to the interpretation of the Bible, whenever you try to prove to people, this is what they will show you. When it comes to the interpretation of the Bible, the Holy spirit will give you the inspiration. But in context, John already said how you know the truth. How will you know the truth? By what they say. Anyone who says Jesus is, Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Anyone who denies the father and the son is the antichrist. So when he said, what when he said what he said in verse 27. Verse 27 again. You've received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. You don't need anyone to teach you what is truth. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. Now, it almost seems like three, contra- three contradictory things in one statement, right? Like, Sir John, what are you saying? First part, you said he will teach us. Second part, you said we will know because what we have been taught is how we will know who the Antichrist is. And then now you are saying that and you need to understand that what is discerning here is even the Antichrist, the wrong teachings. Are you with me? Now, let's go on. But how is the Holy Spirit going to teach you what I want to clarify? John chapter 14 and verse 26. Just don't worry. If I need to take it again, I'll take it again. But just follow me closely. John chapter 14 and verse 26. What does he say? And this is establishing how the Holy Spirit teaches you. Then we'll now go back to that place and everyone will understand what I'm trying to say. John fourteen twenty-six. Who is speaking here? Jesus, right? He says, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, what shall he do? He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So how is the Holy Spirit teaching all truth? By bringing to your remembrance the truth of all you have learned, are you with me now? Sure. Let's now go back to first John chapter 2. Are you all in first John chapter 2? If you don't open your Bible, you might not understand it. So open your Bible and follow closely. We'll start from verse 18. Little children, it is the last time, as you've heard, the Antichrist shall come. Even now, there are many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. What is he talking about? Antichrist, right? We already know the context. Then he continues. They went out from us. They were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. But they went out that they made manifest that they are not one of us. It says, but you have an unction from the only one, and you know all things. It says, I have not written unto you all things about what? All things concerning how to discern who the Antichrist is from who the Antichrist is not. Do you see that? It's not all things concerning scriptures. You don't know all things. You are not omniscient. Mm, yes, sir. Are you with me? All things concerning this subject matter he's telling you about. How to discern who the Antichrist is and the Antichrist spirit. In the next verse, he says, I've not written unto you because you don't know the truth. He says, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. He says, who is a liar but he that denieth Jesus is the Christ. What does Christ mean? Christos. What does he mean? No, no. Christ does not mean Jesus. The anointed one. anointed one. The anointed one. The savior. So anybody that says Jesus is not the savior is the antichrist spirit. you get Whoa. Whoa Are you understanding? It says he is the antichrist that denies the father and the son. Whosoever denieth the son, the same hath not the father. But he that acknowledges the son, acknowledges the father also. He says, "Let that, therefore, abide in you, which you heard from the beginning." Do you see that? He's encouraging them. He's encouraging them to do what? To continue what they've taught them, because it's by what you've learned that you will discern the antichrist. He's not saying the spirit, the spirit of God, is going to give you a new revelation on who the antichrist is or not. No. He says, in verse twenty-four, he says, "Let it abide in you that which you've heard from the beginning." If that which you heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you will continue in the Son and the Son in the Father. He says, and this is the promise he has promised us even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning whom? Them who seduce you. He's writing about seducing spirits, Antichrist spirits. Next verse. When he now said, But the anointing which you've received of him abides in you. You need not that any man teach you. Is he saying that you don't need any man to teach you? No, because he himself is teaching them. He cannot be saying you don't need any man to teach you. Do you understand? Because what is he doing? He's teaching. But what is he saying? He's talking about the Antichrist spirits. He's saying that what? The same anointing teaches you all things and is the truth and no lie. Even as he has taught you, you would abide in him. Twenty-eight. he says, And now, little children, abide in him. And when it shall appear, I have confidence. Now, let's go on. Go to chapter 4. And you'll see see better what what I'm trying to explain. Are you in chapter 4? It says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The same warning. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Remember that that's what he was telling them, how to descend the seducers, right? Mm -hmm. How do you know the Spirit of God? He says, every spirit... Are you all with me? Are you in verse 2? I want you to see this. Yes, I'm sorry. He says, hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of the Antichrist, wherefore you have heard that he should come, even now is already in the world. So listen, guys, how do you see what he was saying you would see? Is it by a new revelation of the spirit or by the word of God? By the word of God. Are you all with me? Yes, sir. So now, let's go back. Now that we've clarified what this means, and when Paul was talking I was not talking about you receiving, when John was talking he was not talking about you receiving a new spirit, a new spirit, and he was not even talking about you receiving a new inspiration, what then was he talking about? Like we read in John chapter 14, he says the ministry, the work of the Holy Spirit is to what? To bring to your remembrance all that he has said. Listen, the way the Spirit of God sanctifies you to truth, is that when you see the Antichrist Spirit, the Spirit of God brings to remembrance all that you have learned. That is how you will discern the false teachers, and the seducers, and the Antichrist spirits. Do you see the work of the Holy Spirit there? When I told you about sanctification, it says it bears witness in your heart that you are a child of God. Anybody who says otherwise, the Spirit of God is reminding you that you are a child of God. That is Him sanctifying you. But Him sanctifying you unto sound doctrine, is that when false teachings fly back, the Holy Spirit said, "God, Jesus said what? He would bring to your remembrance all that I have taught you. John now lets you understand. You will not fall for the trap of false teachers. Why? The Spirit of God will bear witness with the truth of His Word. How will He do that? He will bring to your remembrance all that you have learned. Anything that sounds inconsistent with the message of Jesus Christ at the center of it, is what he would help you filter out. Is that clear? Yes, sure. So, in the context of what he's talking about, what is he? Let me ask you, in the context of what he has been talking about, what is he um, what are, what is he telling writing to them to be able to discern? Um, the Antichrist. So the truth about what? About the message of Christ. Is it clear? The Antichrist spirits say something other that different from the message of Christ. Are you with me? But John is, is saying that what? The Spirit of God, you have the Spirit of God on your inside, and he will do what? He would sanctify you to sound doctrine. Not in his, those are my words, but in his own words, he says, by that Spirit you know all truth. And when we saw when Jesus Christ was talking about the ministry of the Holy Ghost, How did he say we will know the truth by the Holy Spirit? He says he will bring to remembrance all we have learned. So, the Holy Spirit is not going to come and give you a new revelation that you've never seen before. Rather, what the Holy Ghost is going to do is that he's going to witness in your heart the message of the gospel. Is it clear? Yes. Go Go to Galatians. If you go to Galatians, Paul says something very, you know, Paul says something that you need to see. Galatians chapter um, one. Galatians chapter one. When he was talking about a different message that you know they got that was different from the um, message that he preached to them. Are you in Galatians chapter 1? Yes, sir. Okay. Sir, what it Verse 8. It says. But though, that is, even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we preached to you the first time, let him be what? Let him be cursed. Do you see that? No new revelation is going to come from on high. Are you with me? No new revelation is going to come from where? From on high. So, what you need to understand here is that the Holy Spirit is bearing witness to the truth of God's word in our hearts. The message of the gospel. What he does is to bring it to your remembrance. So, how many of you have had certain feelings where you just heard something and it it, it just feels off when it comes to the message of, of salvation? Like, It just feels off. like You know, even your acceptance of the gospel came by the work of the Holy Spirit. You know that, Abby. The Holy Spirit, it was a partnership. Are you with me, dear? With the Holy Spirit. And by, by that working in your heart, you accepted the gospel. By the Spirit of God, you bear witness that you are a child of God. By the same Spirit of God. Remember that I told you when I was teaching the last time that the things... You know what? I will explain it today. Go to. Let me take the question down. All right. Do you have your question now? Where it is not clear to you? Yeah. So, John 14, verse 26, where it says, The Comforter will teach you all things okay. and then bring things into remembrance. Okay. But I know you're focusing on the bring all things. What, what about the um, teaching of all things? So, the teach you all things is what everybody has been saying, but Christ explains how He's going to teach you all things. Are you with me, so he says he okay. shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said to you. So the way, because if the Holy Spirit was going to come and teach them all things, then what has Jesus Christ been doing all this while? Do you see that? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what the Holy Ghost is doing, they call him another comforter, allos Paracletos. That's another type of, of, of Jesus. Are you with me? So what he is doing is this. They are not two different people when you think about it. He's coming to intensify. If you look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, what he does is he intensifies the ministry of Jesus Christ. Are you are you with me? So the way he intensifies the ministry of the of Jesus Christ is by bringing to your remembrance all that Christ taught. And that's even to the apostles. And for us, it is all we've learned about this message. He intensifies it. He brings it to our remembrance. Are you with me? Yeah. Like I explained last week, many times what happens is when the Holy Spirit brings some things to your remembrance, you now think about the scripture and say it's the Holy Spirit that gave you the scripture. It's not the Holy Spirit that gave you the scripture. He is bringing to your remembrance the particular knowledge of what Christ has done. Are you with me? That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's how it keeps you. Go to First Corinthians chapter two and verse nine. It says that is what Scripture means when they say no eyes has seen, no ears has heard, and I explained this last week. No mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. I need to read this in KJV. First Corinthians. Chapter 2, I'll go back to NLT later. Oh, let me just take an NLT for the the benefit of other people here. Alright. Verse 10, it says, But it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit. Who is us there? Who is us there? The apostles. So first of all, he was talking about the apostles. But even if you go on to understand what he's saying... He says, it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit. For His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thought except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thought except God's own spirit. So, He is saying that what? The Holy Spirit is revealing something to them. How does the Holy Spirit reveal it to them? The Holy Spirit knows God's thought. The Holy Spirit is God. So, the Holy Spirit can reveal God's intentions to us. If you go under. Verse 12 He says, and we have received God's Spirit, not the Spirit of the world, so we can know the wonderful thing God has freely given to us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truth. So first of all, whatever the Spirit reveals to them, what did they do about it? They wrote it for you to understand. Are you with me? Verse 14. It says, But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. So listen, why the Bible says the message of the gospel is foolishness to those who are out there is because It would only make perfect sense to you when the words come by the help of the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? People who are unbelievers would never, it would never make sense to them that Jesus Christ died, that God became a man, and that man, you know, died on the cross, he resurrected. It would never make normal sense to them. But by the ministry of the Holy Ghost, this thing makes sense to you. I believe 15 says, those who are spiritual. Can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. So it shows you that what the spirit is doing there. Let me read it in KJV, that last part in KJV. So you understand. I read the last part in KJV from verse 12. It says, Now we've received we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit is of, of God. That's verse 12. That we may know all things that are freely given to us. It says, which things we also speak, not in words. That man's wisdom teaches, but with the Holy Ghost, with the way the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual with spiritual, it says the natural man receive not the spirit of God. He says, for the, the natural man receive not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, because they are what spiritually descend. Listen, what spiritually descend means is that the spirit of God helps you with understanding. But what is helping you with understanding is this. In your acceptance of the gospel, the message of the gospel will never make sense to you unless by the Spirit. Are you with me? Unless by the Spirit. When you, on, when you believe the gospel what happens to you, you receive the Spirit. But actually, the process of justification and salvation in your heart happens because the moment we preach the gospel to you, the Spirit of God is already working in your heart, trying to convince you of the truth. How many of you, from the last time they preached the gospel to you, you did not believe? It was one day, it just sparked in your head. Like, there was just a light bulb, like, boom. So, this is what they've been saying. Right? So, this is what this thing means. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Witnessing in your heart. That witnessing is in witnessing of the truth. What is he witnessing? The truth, the gospel. So, now that you are saved... When you begin to read the word of God, it's still his ministry to witness the same truth in your heart to keep you in sound doctrine. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. I'm so I'm still trying to thinking on how to prove this point. Okay. The way to prove it is this. First of all, remove every place where it looks like. The Holy Spirit is giving anybody a new interpretation. In 1 John, we've clearly seen that first of all, John was talking about seducing spirits. Second of all, John is saying that is by the study of God's word. So either John is trying to scrap away the spirits that he mentioned totally, because how will you say that is the spirit that will help me descend? That You're not telling me that from what I have been taught and from what they are saying, I will okay. know the truth. It means that if it is by the Spirit, what the Spirit is going to do is that, by what I have learned. Discernment comes by the Spirit, yes, but discernment is also by the Word. By what they say, you will know who the Antichrist is. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. By what they say, you will know who the Antichrist is. So the, the Spirit is not, a, is not removed there totally. Is that the Spirit is witnessing in your heart these words. So that when you hear people speak, you can know who is true from who is false. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to sanctify you unto sound doctrine by bringing to your remembrance the things you've learned from the Word of God. So, very clear. the fact that the clinical mm-hmm. is there does not negate the uh, responsibility to have read.
1: Exactly. To
0: have exactly. So, due diligence in the word of God is how you will find biblical interpretation. The ministry of the Holy Ghost is simply confirming in your heart, placing a stamp, witnessing in your heart. But other than that, he's not going to go a further mile to give you an inspiration that was never inspired in scriptures. Do you get it? If this is the only thing I'm I can do today, I'll be happy. I have any other things to touch, but I want you to understand this. Yes. yes, go on. So okay, so um, when Sosa was saying something, you're like that. Um, people that don't believe, they don't have the spirit of God. And yes. Then earlier you said something about when like they're preaching to you as an unbeliever and you're like trying to believe. Mm-hmm. Like Like the spirit of God and like presenting the word of God in your heart, and that's when the whole believing stuff comes. But you not said that people that don't believe. It's not God's dwelling in you. No, he's not dwelling in you at that time. Do you get what I'm saying? He's not dwelling in you at that time. You see, his job, one of the things he does to unbelievers is convicting them of sin. Yes. Do you understand what I'm saying? He convicts them of sin. He's not dwelling in them. He convicts them of sin and brings them to see their helplessness before God to accept the message that has come. But he's not dwelling inside of them. J.R. has done the question Yes, please Yes, thank you so much If the Spirit is responsible for, <laughs> for the committing of the unbeliever, mm-hmm. to righteousness mm-hmm. If, take for example, I preach the gospel to so the unbeliever mm-hmm. Then he does not receive it mm-hmm. Do I then pray to the Holy Spirit? No, you them then pray it? You then pray <laughs> Because regardless of what the Holy Spirit is doing in his heart If he chooses to reject, he will reject it that's why we tell you many times that when you preach to someone, you use logic, you use everything you can do, everything, and it does not work. Go and pray for them. Because have you seen people that you preach to and they never listen until after you prayed? Yes, sir. And this one, a, many of you here say I wrote your name on my board like this. I, I laid my hands on it. I said, Holy Ghost! <laughs> <laughs> Go to their hearts <laughs> and help them understand this message. What this brings us to see is that, yes, there is a job for the Holy Spirit. It's not totally excluded. But when it comes to helping you understand the Bible, He stops at the place of sanctifying you, bringing to your remembrance. He doesn't conjure up inspiration or interpretations from different places and brings to your mind. We concluded that the Bible was written for you for you to understand, and so any barrier to biblical interpretation is man-made. Because Paul and the other apostles, if they thought they wanted it to be hidden, they would not have written it to churches or to people. Are you with me? So they wanted it to be able to understand yeah. when they write. So there is no there is no mystery or encoded in the New Testament. Encoded language or encoded word in the new testament. Why I explain that the New Testament is is the revelation of the Old Testament. That the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And so, in the in reading of the New Testament, you should stop searching for or searching for more hidden things because the New Testament reveals the things that were covered in the Old Testament. Praise Jesus. Alright, so it was written for you to understand. Alright, so the first barrier we're going to be speaking on is language. Language. Language barrier. And you see, many people don't know because when you pick up the Bible, for example, I gave you the example of people not even knowing that there's a different way to read the Old Testament and a different way to read the New Testament because they don't even know that um, the Old Testament was was, was a shadow of what was to come. And so, the same way many people don't know that there are barriers like this when it comes to biblical interpretation, and language is one of such barriers. You see, the Bible was not written originally in English. The New Testament, you know, was written in Greek. Most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and small portions of it were written in Aramaic, and, and later versions of Hebrew, right? And so, if you, you as a person cannot Read Greek right now because you speak English and maybe (laughs) Yoruba and then maybe French, right? And so you need a translation, and in getting that translation is where some of the problems arise and some of the barriers arise. So it was that you were reading the direct way they wrote it, then maybe the barriers would have been reduced. But the fact that translation has happened, the Bible has been translated, you know, through several languages there obviously will be barriers and some people might not understand the, that there will be barriers but I will explain to you for example because the Bible has been um, translated several times even when it got to English it was not translated to modern English mm, yes, sir. it was translated to old English so you hear things like thou shouldest are you with me? And some of you think that is heavenly language. So when you are praying, oh Lord thou, the Messiah, God, shouldest thou, or when you prophesy, you think it's heavenly language? Shouldest thou dost do it. (laughs) And so you think that you know. The, the, the fact that it was written in something that is not your language, maybe that was the way that the apostles... No, no apostles spoke like that. Jesus did not speak like that. He did not use thou. Are you with me? He did not. The Bible has been translated. The apostles never spoke English. Jesus never spoke English. Are you with me? You have the Bible that way because that was the way they communicated at the time it was translated in English. It is old English. And so by studying newer translations, you can remove this barrier. You see an example. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him or believes it Actually, this is even NKJV. KJV says, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? But have everlasting life. everlasting life. And many times when we interpret this, we interpret it in the line of saying that for God so loved the world. That is, God loved the world so that he just gave his only begotten son. You see, whereas that was not what he was trying to say. The right interpretation. Go to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. That will give you a clearer interpretation written by the same writer. He says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We also do what? Ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So, when he was saying, for God so loved the world, he was not talking about the intensity of the love. Rather, he was saying, this is how God loved loved the world he gave his only begotten son. That is, giving his only begotten son is the way he showed that he loved the world. Do you get So when, you know, the Bible says, for God so loved the world, he wasn't talking about the intensity of the love of God for us. And God, yes, God loves us that much, but he was saying that this is how God showed his love to us. Colon, he gave his life for us. So it's not God so he loved him so so much, but rather it was that the way he showed that he loved him was that he gave his life. Is that clear? Yes. Sir. This is one of those examples. Because of old English and the way of writing, you might easily interpret this as saying, Oh, God so he loved the world, so tay, so tay, so te, he just vets say, make his son die. No. Rather, the direct way to interpret this is that God won't show say in loving son. Should say he wants to say, "Love the world," so in giving son to show them. Do you get Those are two different interpretations. And so, if you don't, you know, put in diligence to study, you wouldn't even know that that was what he was talking about. Are you with me? Another example. I'll give you an example of old English and one of the things. How many of you ever played table tennis very well, or even a little of long tennis? How many of you? Anybody ever played with tennis very well? Good. When I played lot. When you serve, when you serve the ball and it hits the net, what do you say? What do they shout? They shout yes. less? Exactly. Who said that? Who said less now? Me. Oh, that's uh, all that they play, they don't even know anything. See them. Larry, Alex, they don't know. <laughs> they shout let. Oh, wow. Now, when I was younger, I used to think it was because the ball hit the net and it was that is net they are shouting. Whereas it's let they are shouting. Are you with me? Now let in old English means disallowed. So imagine someone writes a letter to you and he says this thing should be let. You'll be thinking he's saying this thing should be allowed. Whereas he's saying this thing should be what? Disallowed. Old English. Are you with me? So, it is very important to see that this is a barrier. Because if this is the case, you can literally get a different interpretation. And it's not the writer's intention to confuse you but it's translation that has cost it. Are you with me? Yes, sir. So many times when we say, you know, we need a literal translation. Anyways, let me go ahead of myself. Another problem connected to translation many times is that people think that translation has to happen word for word. And word-for-word word translation would not help you many times. And this has to do with the nature of languages. For example, have you heard people say something like, Oya, yeah, come and be going. <laughs> do you know where that Oya, yeah, come and be going yeah. comes from? It comes from yeah. trying to translate Yoruba directly to English. So Yoruba will say, Oya, yeah, wa, malo. <laughs> Oya yeah is Oya. Yeah, wa means come. Malo means be going. So, the Yoruba boy is going to learn proper grammatical construction of English. Decides to translate Yoruba directly to English. And says, Oh yeah, come and be going. That's one that we can all relate to, Abi, Very well. Yes. Exactly. And so, we treat language like codes. Language is not code. You know, most code you want to do this, it's not like code. There is no one to one correspondence when it comes to translation. Actually, there is no actual way to get a direct and accurate interpretation of a sentence word for word in another language. It would not make sense to the other people if you do that. And this is because different languages have different constructs. Are you with me? For example, you need to see that, let me use one that is closer to home. If you say, he wants to take it, and you say, she wants to take it, Yoruba does not care if he's a boy or is a girl. Yoruba will simply say, o femo. Do you get that? Why? You see that the English language has more ways to differentiate than the Yoruba language. But guess what? English says he wants to take it if you are talking to your daddy. And he wants to take it if you are talking to your junior brother. But Yoruba will say, if you are talking to someone that is your mate or younger. And if you are talking to someone that is older than you. Do you see that? Different languages have different constructs. And a a, a general one that is closer to the Bible is the Greek. You see, the Greek language has more words than the English language. So you take a word like love. When you say, I love him. If I say I love him to Joseph, sincerely, you don't get what I'm trying to say. Because my love can be... It cannot be in Jesus. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. Holy (laughs) Ghost. You see? But love in the Greek has words like agape, which is the God kind of love. You see, love for children. It has philia, which is friendship kind of love. It has eros, which is love with sexual passion. But in English, you just use love. And so imagine someone writes in the Greek to a lady in a letter. And he says, I agape you. And then you take it and say, hey, they shoot shots. Hey, Pastor Mike, they shoot shots. Sir, you love her. Some of you, your relationship will break up because of this, and that the is doing to many of you and your doctrine today. He's spoiling things because you are not probably you're, you're not doing you know doing your due diligence in the study of God's word. It has caused many wrong interpretations to scriptures. This is I'm talking about. It's no small thing. I give you another example. You take a word like knowledge. In the Greek, we have gnosis. we have epignosis. We have edo, even in tenses, we have things like ginoscope. Are you with me? And so you see gnosis meaning you know, uh, uh, it, no, gnosis is a common now for knowledge, it means scientific knowledge. So you see Ephesians 3:9 says, and to know the love of God, and no is not even this knowledge, which surpasses all gnosis, which is all knowledge. Epignosis is talking about precise and accurate knowledge gained by first hand relationship, is used to describe God's knowledge many times because that is precise and accurate. An example, Philippians, I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. You see, ido is the type of knowledge, that's the third one, or ido, and this is talking about awareness or perception. So, he knows himself. That's a different know from the other two ones I've talked about. Do you see? But you see, in the English, all you say is Or you say, he has knowledge of himself. That's talking about awareness of self. But when it comes to the English language, the only thing we have is what? Knowledge. Is it clear? This becomes a problem in translation. I have many examples for you. How many of you have considered Jesus rude many times? One time. John chapter 2 verse 1-4 and I'm sure many of you have struggled with this how do you call your mother woman? <laughs> <laughs> like Nigerian <laughs> mentality this is not even actually Nigerian mentality you see, you see that's another thing many people when they try to interpret the scripture would have given you answers like oh you know that white people they can call their mother woman it's a lie that's not why this happened Due diligence check. Why did he call her woman? Is it being disrespectful? Let's read it. It Says on the third day, and on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does (laughs) woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. More direct and literal translations will show you woman, like KJV. KJV will show you woman. NASB tries to be very direct and literal in the word for word type of thing, right? So if you read NASB 2, it will show you woman, you see. But the reason why that is there is not because Jesus was being disrespectful. The Greek word used there... Is gyne. G-Y-N-E. I don't know how to pronounce it properly. G-Y-N-E. And it is not a harsh word. Neither is it a mean word. It's just a normal form of address. But in the English language, we have nothing remotely like it. And so, NSB comes along and says, woman, and we hear it and we think it's disrespectful. That's why if you read NIV, it says, dear woman. NIV tries to, you know, Make it softer so you understand that Jesus was not trying to be disrespectful. Do you see that? NIV says, Dear woman, why do you involve me? You see. So NIV is like we have to make people understand that it's not a bad thing for God to call. NLT, NLT just removed the old thing. You see, rather than explain, <laughs> rather than explain it <laughs> to them, NIV just say, How does it concern you and me? Jesus asked. <laughs> That's even worse. You see that? <laughs> You see, but you don't know that he wasn't trying to be disrespectful. If you read it in the Greek, it will not be a problem. To call any woman, even a grand, a, 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 your great-grandmother, guy, is not a problem if you are reading a Greek text. But in the English, if you translate it directly, to say woman becomes a problem. So this kind of translation sometimes can obscure the meaning you are trying to get. So using KJV only does not make you spiritual. Check all that translations. <laughs> are you with me? Check all that translations. The spelling is G Y N E. Now, even translations too, they have their way. Some translations are not translations; they are paraphrasing. <laughs> Some translations do not apply as translations. I'm sorry to say. You see, so, different translations have different categories. Some try to be directly literal, word for word. You see, but this begs the question. To take the literal interpretation of a word, does it mean giving me the word for word meaning? Let me ask you. If I say read a text literally, do I mean word for word, or I mean get the interpretation Yes, interpretation. Yes. Yes. So literal might not always always mean word for word because if word for word does not make sense, it's not literal. Yeah, literal has to do more with interpretation. So the fact that NASB another transition try to be closer to it, you know, check other transitions that are more in the middle of of just after trying to be word for word and direct. So you can compare the two of them. It's good to use them, but compare. Many times, I mean, this is still telling you barriers. I'll tell you the teams on how to go about it later, all right? So, I'll give you another example. Paul speaking in Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15, he says, For the love of God constrained us because we first judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. You see, here's old English at play again. When you think of constrained, you are thinking. Bound, like, hold us bound. Hold you back. Constrain him from going. Constrain that child from passing the door, you know. (laughs) That's what you're thinking. But whereas, he was saying the love of God motivates us. (laughs) If you check the Greek meaning of constrain it. So sometimes you can get the direct opposite of a word because of translation. Because of language barrier. Not just translation, because of language barrier generally. Are you with me? So, language barrier can give you opposite meaning sometimes. If you check the Greek, you see what she really means. And this is why, as a student of the Bible, you have to do your due diligence. You have to do your what? Your due diligence, you have to be diligent. When this happens, you will realize that you cannot just attend any church. This is what that is what happens when you begin to do due diligence. You you you'll not be able to just go to any church or any assembly anyhow. Because there's something that's important to you diligence to the study of God's word. How is it being taught? How is it being addressed? Are you with me? Is your profiting visible? Am I being trained? Am I being equipped? Am I learning? Am I growing? Your result out of that gathering has to be what? Progress and joy in the faith. Yes, they are doing miracles, but are you growing in the word? It takes more than grace for miracles to lead a ministry. He says the bishop has to be what apt to teach. If apt to teach was not important, he would not put it there. He would say the bishop should not have calling, but well, it's beyond calling. Apt to teach. Are you with me? Yes, I'm, yes, I will sir. round up now, but I'll give you, I'll just give you a way to think of it and to see the barriers more clearly. You see, Dr. Bill Mounds, um, a theology teacher that I, I I listened to at one of his courses, you know, recently, he gave an example of how language and translation barriers can be. And this will be just for you to intrigue you. I'll just give it to you, you know. So, what does the word can mean? C-A-N. you mean, you know? I'm Someone you said that to go learn how to speak Hebrew or like. <laughs> So, what does can mean? As in giving the noun, whatever meaning it can. Okay, so you see, ability, you can do something. Ability Mm -hmm. to do. But can can also mean container, right? Yes, sir. Exactly. And can can also mean to fire somebody, Uh, especially in America, like Americans use the word. Are you with me? So, I want I want go ask them. I don't know. If they fire you. they turn you. <laughs> I I don't, I don't. Go and ask them. I don't I don't them. Now, his own supervisor used to crack a joke and say this. Imagine you have a write-up, writer and, and imagine a word that can go like this. I'll tell you the word, the, the sentence that can go like this. His supervisor says this to him. His supervisor says, Americans eat what they can and can what they can't. (coughs) Or, Americans can eat what they can and can what they can't. So, I've used can how many times here? Guess what? If you translate can literally to Yoruba, and you put can everywhere here, or you translate can as container, and you are trying to interpret this statement, Americans, container, what's the container, container? But American, <laughs> And different. Contain- do you get what I'm saying? It won't make any sense. Do you see what literal, if you are trying to be word for word literal, can do and what transla- what, why translation's barrier exists? So, those words now will be replaced with many other words. So, in those other languages, there will be another word for ability to do. There will be another word for container. There will be another word for fire, for, to fire somebody. Do you see that? We are even already saying fire. Do you get what I'm saying? Exactly. So it is actually impossible to find another language that has the same bundle of words for can. It's impossible. I'll give you one last yes. thing. Words are always changing, even as culture changes. Before now, there was no word to describe certain things. For example, in old English, there was nothing to describe cool. This guy is cool. Coolness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm saying this guy is cool. Like he's a cool person. What does what does cool even mean? interpret in it. Like explain it. What does it mean to be cool? To be more perfect. Sounds panic do you we see that? Gay. But as time time moves on, now we have "cool" as a word. What of "gay"? In their time, was there a word for "gay"? i so Before it, it was. Who is telling you that, thing thing that one? Like, we are talking about we are talking sh- about sh- the sh- we are talking about the gender representation. Was there a word for it before now? No. Um, okay. no, I, I can't remember. There's no word for it. There was no word for it, but now culture evolved Things that things that are not normal have come to be normal in our day, in quote, and so they have to put words. book, mm-hmm. gay So what we are saying, think words now, Angel. Don't confuse yourself. What we are saying is so, that Gay ne- was never used to represent gender identification before now. But culture has moved on. It has become a thing in our day. And so a word has to be placed on it. And so that word has been given to it. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then now we're in... Quack, quack, quack. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Anyways, so... queer actually have had... Well like we it before now. Mm, that's good, but not mean what we're saying, it should mean before now. That's what we are trying to say. That's the point we're trying to make. So do you guys understand what I'm saying now? Translation is a language is a barrier in Bible interpretation, and if you don't pay attention to it, you can get lost, you can misinterpret the Bible. So give diligence to the study of the word of God. What did I say? This is very important. Just pray in the language of the spirit wherever you are. Declare on yourself and say, I'm a diligent student of God's word. I study the word of God diligently every day. I strive for right interpretation.